Well, hello everybody, I call you blessed. Welcome to Midweek Bible Study. Awesome, we're going to have a great time tonight. And even though the crowd may be small here tonight, that's, uh, you know what, it, it's not a biggie. I'm just happy to see, I never regret, well, I say this correctly, I was going to say I never regret those that aren't here. I rejoice in those that are here. So I should say I, I do regret those that aren't here, but I don't ever have an angst or I'm bothered by it, if you know what I mean, because I'm celebrating those of you that are here. And obviously on a night like tonight, we have no problem doing so physical distancing, do we? You know, <laughs> spread out all over the place and it's all a good deal. But I'm glad you're here, all of you online. Uh, thank you for hooking up. Sorry about the confusion with my call system and sending out the wrong voicemail a few minutes ago. Uh, so I, I think you probably got a new one for tonight's service. And so we welcome you. Uh, I have it on pretty good authority that we're going to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus tonight. Uh, the Word is going to do something special in your life tonight. I know that it is. So thank you for connecting. Thank all, all of you as well for being here tonight. We're going to have a special time together. Um, wanted to just share an announcement or two with you. That's all right. You can give me some elevator music while I'm uh, doing announcements. <laughs> um, the Christmas Eve candlelight service, of course, on the 24th, starting at 6 o'clock. Uh, typically, our uh, Christmas Eve service is packed. It's quite full, and that's back when we had almost 200 chairs in the room. There's only 104, I think, in the room right now. And so we had done a reservation system for people to be able to call ahead and make reservations. Those, the reservations are all filled up at this point, um, but there's still room in the inn, if you will. We're going to open up these, this back wall, and we're going to set up some chairs out uh, in what is the front common area where people can still see what's going on inside and hear what's going on. Here's the deal. Those that have reserved uh, seating are going to get first choice at having seating in here. I think that's only fair. So we're actually going to have somebody that's uh, going to be at the door simply asking if you made a reservation. If you did not, they're going to be directing you to the seats out there. So we're sorry about that, but kind of we've been juggling around how we could do this the best without having people uh, upset that they didn't get to sit down in here or wherever. So we're, we're doing the best we can, and we're looking forward to seeing all of you at 6 o'clock on December 24th. I've been working a, a good portion of the afternoon on it, and I've got a whole set list, and I'm excited about the evening. It's a family time. Last about an hour. And I'll tell you right now, you will not be sorry that you chose to come out and be a part of this service. It's going to be a blessed time. We do have a bulletin here. Uh, we do make a hard copy of it, but it's also online. You can actually go to our website and see this exact same bulletin. All the information that you need to know about things that are going on here is in the bulletin. So we encourage you to use it. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to enter right in as uh, Bill is going to lead us in one of my favorite songs, Reckless Love. It's, I mean, it's just a powerful thing. I remember when that song first came out, there were uh, a number of, I'll just say, religious folk, 
not here because this is the perfect church and there's no religious folks here. Um, but there was, uh, they've been put, they were put post online and whatever, you know, that uh, reckless love was uh, unscriptural. It was uh, heretical to consider that God was somehow reckless. Uh, I guess I kind of get that point, but then when you read the story about him leaving the 99 to go find the one, you have to know that when a shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one, that in and of itself is a little reckless to leave the 99. But it's a reckless love that says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to love my, to love my kids, to love my sheep. And so it's not at all, uh, I, I don't think, heretical or an anti-theme of Scripture. I'm so thankful that um, His reckless love picked me up, saved me. What is that one, uh, what is that, um, how's, the, how's the course go? Or is it the bridge? There's no shadow you won't light up. Thank, no, no, I'm going to say it slow because I want to read it. There's no... Shadow you won't light There's up. no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. No mountain you won't climb up. After me. After me. That's pretty powerful. That he loves me enough to be reckless enough to come get me and to rescue me. You take that in your, and own that yourself tonight as Bill leads us in that song. Amen. Father, we give you honor and glory. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to um, assemble here and also to connect uh, via YouTube and Facebook and to just have church. And Lord, we want to just, uh, we want to worship you. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you rescued us, that you ran after us. You, 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 you drew us to you. You courted us. You wooed us by your great Holy Spirit. You called us. And you know us by name. You know everything about us. And so tonight, may you be honored and may you be glorified, not only as we sing this song of worship, but as we, as we do the worship of teaching the Word and the worship, the form of worship of receiving the Word. May you be blessed. May you be glorified tonight. And we thank you for your reckless love that reached out to grab the one. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, stand with me and let's, let's sing the song. Still you give yourself away Oh, the 
to be reminded tonight that you have a reckless love for us. You leave no stone unturned coming after your children. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We're moved by it. Our heart is tugged and moved on by it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you honor and glory in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Got your Bibles with you tonight, whether they're bound in leather or in a device, whatever it may be. That's, that's okay. We are continuing our lesson that we've been doing for five, six months, I think, somewhere about there, and uh, preparing for the Lord's return. Uh, started out what Jesus wants you to know about the last days. And then I realized in the process of that, that what was really the most important thing was to prepare God's people for his return. Because you can know all the information about the last days and still not be ready. You know what I'm saying? And so we've kind of taken a journey here and there as the Spirit of, the God, the Spirit of God uh, led me in in talking about it and then he finally brought me back to say you know just start at the the beginning of revelation and i want you to talk about the seven churches because i believe that one of the best ways to be ready for the lord's return is to be a church and a people who examine themselves we're instructed i think in first corinthians 10 5 i think that's correct to examine yourself to see if in fact you are of the faith that's something, you know, that's almost a little bit of a scary verse. Do you mean that there may be times or there may be something where I am not of the faith? Well, if that weren't true, he wouldn't have said examine yourself to see whether or not you're of the faith. And one of the best things that we can examine or weigh ourselves against is, would be the letters that Christ wrote to the seven churches in the first century there, the first century churches in the book of Revelation. And in that, you'll be able to see what Jesus commends. And when you see what Jesus commends, you and I, individually and as a church, we ought to aspire 
toward those things that he praises and commends, right? And when you find out the things that he condemns, well, it, it doesn't take rocket science to know that you and I as individuals and corporately as a church ought to avoid those things at all cost. And so I believe that the uh, reading and a study of the seven churches is a great way for us to examine who we are. It's by no accident that Revelation starts off by saying that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And blessed are those that read these things and take heed to these things. And although the entire book after chapter 3 is all about what will happen in the very last days, yet right here is two chapters, Jesus writing letters to seven churches. Why? How does that fit into the end time scheme? Well, I think it fits very clearly because uh, there's a difference between a prepared people and an unprepared people. There's a difference between a true church and a pseudo church. There's a difference between an, a casual Christian and a severe disciple and believer of Jesus Christ. I talk about that often. There's going to be many that's going to stand before the Lord, and they're going to be shocked that he says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't, I don't want to be in that group. Can I get a witness from somebody? And as a pastor of a church, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that no one under my charge as a pastor will stand before the Lord and say, well, no, I was never told. I didn't know. I want you to be prepared. I don't walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. You walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. I got enough trouble on my own walking my own out with fear and trembling. Okay, be well, hey there, Chad, good to see you, man. I haven't seen you in a while, so I had to stop and say, how'd you do? Are you, are you social distancing? That's my brother-in-law. That's your brother-in-law. I'm not your brother-in-law, but can, will you give me a hug? Yeah. Come here. <laughs> Good to see you. Oh, God bless you, man. Bless you. It's been too long. <laughs> see, you don't want to stay gone very long. I'll call you out in the middle of the service. <laughs> no, he's very special and dear, dear to us. So there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, it says, write in a book, this is, this is the Lord speaking to John, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now remember that it is believed there were hundreds of churches during this time, and yet he pinpointed seven of them. Write to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamos and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia Philadelphia and Laodicea. Now turn with me, you're probably already there, to Revelation chapter 2, and let's read verses 1 through 7. Are you there? Yeah. All right. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Verse 4, but I have this against you. That's not a word I want to hear from God. You know, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
I know there's at least one or two translations that says you've lost your first love. Lost sometimes seems like an inadvertent accident. But this translation that says, and most of them do say, left your first that's a willful decision to leave behind something. Can I help you? You don't lose your first love by accident. You leave it on purpose. That's a sad, sad statement. Verse 5, therefore remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else. That's the other thing I said last week I don't ever want to have God say to me. Rick, fix this. Or else. I'm like, I don't want to know about your or else's God. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Yikes. Unless you repent. Oh, I know, I know, I know. There's a word we don't like to hear in uh, this latter days church. Maybe this church, you don't mind it, but there are many churches out there that are so user-friendly that the preacher will never preach about repentance, about con- confession, about conviction, about sin, and yet Jesus is writing it right here. You know what I'm saying? So he said, I'll take that lampstand right out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We're going to be getting into that probably next week. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Wow. Where else was the tree of life? The Garden of Eden, which was the paradise of God. Now, that's an interesting concept if you think about it, because it is believed that when we see the new heaven and the new earth, that the new earth is just this earth restored to its original state at creation. And it was created perfect. God did not create an imperfect planet. It was perfect. And, uh, and so it's, I think it will revert back to that. That's a whole nother, nother teaching. So, Last week we studied verses 1 through 3 where we learned that Jesus commended their toil, which if you'll remember that that Greek word basically said, be willing to break a sweat for Jesus. Work hard for Jesus. Can I help you? And I'm not skeptical. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for almost 25 years now. I've seen a lot over these 25 years, and I've seen multiple congregations where there was only 20% of the people who were really willing to break a sweat for Jesus while the other 80% sat around. Now, we're, we're seeing a reversal of that here, even in this season, and it blesses my heart tremendously. So he said, remember, if we see, see things that he commends, then we need to aspire toward that commendation, right? If the Lord says, hey, I love you, and uh, man, I see how hard you work, and it pleases me. He goes on to say that he commended them for their perseverance, they, are, they, they were in a city that was the wealthiest city of the time, and it was the city of Ephesus was the most highly pagan, ritualistic, superstitious city that there was. Uh, the goddess Diana and the temple of Artemis was right there in Ephesus. And so that was a hard place 
for, it would seem, at least, for Christianity to grow that, in that setting. So they had to persevere. They had to endure in the face of hardship. So that's basically saying, you know, I know that you work hard. I'm so glad to know that you work hard. You're, in, in modern English, you're willing to break a sweat for me, Jesus would say. And you know what? I'm so proud of you for your perseverance, for your willingness and readiness to endure in the face of hardship with grace and joy. Okay, not just in, not grit your teeth and bear it and just get through it to the other side, but to truly endure hardship with grace and with joy. 2020 has been the year of plenty. And it's been plenty of trouble. Right on? It's been plenty of hardship for a lot of peoples, a lot of businesses. And you know what we're supposed to do in the face of hardship? Endure it with grace and joy. When we see things that Jesus commends when he writes to the, le- the letters to the churches, we individually and corporately as a church should aspire to reach for those things. He goes on to say that he, he commended them for testing and avoiding false teachers, not just swallowing every single thing that's fed to you. Not just taking in one ear everything that goes, oh, that sounds pretty good. I like that. No, you better make sure that it's founded in the Word of God. And I often say this, too many voices will cause you confusion and chaos in your life. I'm not saying I'm the only voice, okay? But if this is your church and I am your pastor, I should be the main voice in your life. Not, I don't have to be the only voice because I have other voices that speak into my life, but I don't listen to too many voices. I listen to the Spirit of God. I listen to the voice of my bride. I listen to the voice of my pastor, and I have a couple of mentors in my life that I listen to their voice. But I am not just taking in anything and everything that comes across the airwaves. It will mess you up. Be careful about what you're listening to. So although the church of Ephesus received praise from Jesus, that's pretty awesome, for doing these things, he now lets them know that they had something wrong, that something had gotten lost in the process. Think about it. They were, they were pretty good. I mean, they were, you know, they were what? They were enduring. Uh, they, they were working hard. They were uh, testing and avoiding false teachers. That's, that's pretty good. Somewhere in the midst of trying to do everything right, they got to doing everything for the wrong reason. That's important. So Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Friends, this is a, this is a cutting criticism. This is so, a severe criticism. The Lord is saying you may be doing all the right things, but you're doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And I'm not pleased, even though I'm, I commend you for doing the right things, you, you're messing up all the right things because you're not doing them for the right Reasons. There are plenty of churches that walk the straight and narrow but not, are not doing it out of love and devotion to the Lord. They're doing it out of the duty of religion. The duty of religion. And 
You know, it used to be religion was a word. Oh, did you hear about Uncle Sal? Uncle Sal went and got religion. Well, that used to be a positive thing. Nowadays, when you use the word religion, it's a very negative thing. We don't want the negative religion. I think that the negative connotation of religion is something that sickens God. It should sicken us as well. You're not doing, he's saying to them, you're not doing all these right things that I commended you for because you're not doing them because you're in love with me. You're doing them out of, out of duty, out of obligation. You're not doing them out of wholehearted devotion. You see, we can do all the right works and, and still be trapped in them because we're not doing them out of wholehearted devotion and love for him. We're doing them out of duty. I can't tell you the number of people who tithe out of duty and do not tithe or have lost sight of tithing out of love and devotion to the one that they're tithing to. That's the only tithing God can bless is the one where your heart is connected to it because you're still in love with him. What happened to us that we got so much religion that now we tithe to 10% because we have to? I can tell you what happened there. And that's by and large the fault of many pastors who use the tithe to grow their great programs and their great, their great facilities and did not teach people about it in order to have their heart, have a love connection to their giving. God can't bless any giving that's not done out of a heart of love and adoration. It says, in fact, to, to not give grudgingly or out of compulsion. Compulsion is obligation. So I'm not getting off into a whole giving thing, but that, what I'm saying is there, you could, church attendance. You could, you could get the A1 star, gold star banner for perfect church attendance, but be doing it to get the gold star reward. And you've missed out on God's going to say, well, you did really good. You did good coming to church all the time. But there's this thing I have against you is that you have forgotten who you're in love with. So these folks here in Ephesus, they were straight as an arrow, but they missed the bullseye. I mean, it does not do any good to go out hunting and your sights are off. You don't bring nothing home. Revelation 2, 4 says, I have this against you that you left your first love. You left. I don't, I don't necessarily like the translation, you lost. Because again, as I said earlier, that's sometimes an inadvertent accidental occurrence. It's not like your keys. You lost your keys. You looked everywhere for your keys. And of course, what's the one thing somebody says to you? Well, where'd you leave them last? Well, if I knew where I left them last, they wouldn't be lost. This is not an occasion of having lost it. This is an occasion of having left it. That means I know where I dropped it off. I know where I started going backwards. Okay? What is first love? Well, the best way to describe it is honeymoon love. It's like honeymoon love. The prophet Jeremiah gives us an example of this in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It's up on the screen. It says, Go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. I, was, I remember how eager you were to please me 
as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. That's a first love thing. I mean, do you remember, uh, those of you who are married, do you remember honeymoon love? Or have you, have you forgotten? Is the honeymoon over? You know? Uh, you know, you're, you had that honeymoon phase. You remember when you were walking her to the car and you were going to open the door for her and she stumbled and tripped a little bit and you're like, oh, honey, are you okay? And now years later, it's like, you know, uh, way to go, Grace. Uh, have a nice trip. See you next fall. You know? Or, or do you remember walking together in the mall, holding hands, and now years later, you're five to ten paces apart with one of you saying, slow down, or the other saying, hurry up. <laughs> or, or how about when you used to wait patiently for her to get all dolled up, fix her hair. Now you sit in the car and honk. I mean, <laughs> the honeymoon's over, y'all. There's a difference there. We need to hold on to that honeymoon love. Now, I know there's a love that can deepen and grow stronger that may not have all that, those acts of infatuation, but I still open the door for my darling. Uh, I, I, I wait patiently now for her to get dolled up, and I often tell her, you're already dolled up. We're going to get coffee, and she's like, i got to put my makeup on, and i got to get my hair all done, and I'm like, oh, my God, all I had to do was put my coat on and go. Let's go. And you all know the story, you know. I'm ready. She says, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm like, I may as well just sit down for a few minutes because ready does not mean to her what ready means to me. So we need to hold on to that honeymoon kind of love. I love you, sweet pea. Not only with your spouse, but also with the Lord. See, those examples... I gave you were about with a spouse or with a significant other. But what about the Lord? What about when you first fell in love with Jesus? Do you remember what it was like and what you were like when you first got saved? Have, when's the last time you stopped to think about that? Remember how you couldn't, you couldn't get enough of reading the Bible? You couldn't wait to get to the church. You were begging to get used somewhere in the church, to be able to have your gift used in the church. You were just, I mean, you were driving your nuts, your friends nuts, who were nuts, of course. You were driving your friends nuts, and most of them left you because you wouldn't quit talking about Jesus. How many of you have thought back to your honeymoon phase with Jesus? There was an excitement, wasn't there? There was an enthusiasm in the air. Do you remember? Has, has your love waxed so cold that you've forgotten even that? Now, maybe we still do some of the things that we did back when we first got saved, but we do them now out of duty. We do them now out of obligation instead of out of love and devotion. So let's real quick take a devotion examination, right? I'm going to ask a few questions, and I'll just tell you right now, if you can answer one or more of them, you are in the process of losing your first love, of leave, excuse me, of leaving your first love. Does your mind and mouth switch into autopilot during the song service? Huh? Do you know, you know, I, I don't have the video available, but there are certain positions of the hands that mean different things. Swaying back and forth. Oh, that was a more like a hokey. 
You know, I don't care how many times you sing Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art. If it doesn't tug your heartstrings, you may be in danger of having left your first love. I can't believe they're singing that song again, and how many times will we sing the chorus? Will they get on with another song? Is your last answered prayer a distant memory? How long has it been since you knew that God was listening, that he was a listening God? How long has it been since you knew that God was an answering God? Are your prayers out of rote action? Because after all, as a Christian, you're supposed to pray. Or are you praying because you are so in love with the one you're talking to? John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, you've been asking God for things and for stuff and for healing and it's not happening. Maybe there's an abiding problem. There ain't a God problem. Maybe there's an abiding problem. Maybe there's a first love problem. Maybe your love for him isn't as fired up as it was when you became his bride. You might be saying, well, Pastor, we're the Wednesday night crowd. You're preaching to the choir. No, you're right. I'm preaching to the choir, but even the choir needs to get saved sometimes. Amen? I'm the pastor, and I need to get saved. Saved is a metaphor. I need to get saved sometimes. I got stuff that needs fixing. Am I alone? Well, y'all are staring at me like, well, thank God something's wrong with him. <laughs> How about this one? Do you feel a little jealous or maybe guilty when you hear someone talking about how great their devotion time with God is? Is there just a little something that rises up inside of you when you hear about that? Do you read your Bible because you're supposed to or because you want to? Think about that. Psalm chapter 119, verses 10 through 11 says, With my whole heart I have sought you. My whole heart. That's a love, that's a love action right there. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Number five, do you find yourself criticizing and critiquing the church service? rather than growing from it? Are you continually looking for ways to check out and become less committed and less involved versus looking for ways to check in and become more committed and more involved? Some people don't like to come to a, small, a smaller church. They want to go to a very large church because in the midst of the large church, they can have anonymity. They can hide in the masses and never be noticed. You come to a small church, you stick out like a sore thumb. You know, there's a newbie. Let's go. <laughs> oh, if you, can, if you can answer yes to any one or more of these questions, you may be in danger of leaving your first love. So that being said, what's the cure and Jesus tells us what the cure is. In Ephesus, obviously something had gone wrong. 
for Jesus to have that commendation for them, but then to go, wait a minute, I got something against you. And it was a love issue. You know, their toil and their hard work was there. Their perseverance and their endurance was there. Their willingness to test and avoid false teachers was there. But love was gone. And I believe not just love for God, but love for others as well. I think there's a good chance that as they were testing the false prophets and testing all the people who had something to say about God, they probably lost a little bit of their love for their fellow man as well. So in verse 5, Christ makes an appeal to us all, and he gives this church in Ephesus, and he gives us as well three steps, three steps to get back to your first love. Number one is remember. Number two is repent. And number three is respond or do. So first Christ says, remember from where you have fallen. Listen, any one of us here who have had a love relationship with Christ, we have experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit when we were beginning to step away, when we were beginning to fall away, when we were beginning to leave our first... We, we were convicted by it, and we didn't listen to it, and none of it, there's not a one of us here who have walked away from our first love can't identify the moment that you were walking away. That's why it says, remember from where you have fallen... Now, keep in mind that Revelation, that entire book, was not written to unbelievers. It was not written to the unchurched. It was not written to the unbelieving world. It was recorded for the church. In fact, it says, this is in verse 1, I think, this was for the bondservants, servants of God, these words. So he's not speaking here to someone who's never been in church. He's not speaking to someone here who hasn't already had a love relationship with Christ. He is speaking to those who were on the inside and have lost their way. Come on, y'all. Every one of us have done that at one point or another. Can I get a witness? We've all had those moments that we've lost our, we've lost our way. We got sidetracked. We got detoured by life or detoured by temptation or whatever it may be, and then we realize, oh, my goodness, what have I done? So you have to remember that the remembering, remember that remembering is the first step back. How about the prodigal son? Remember, do you, do you remember when the prodigal son remembered? It's in Luke 15, verse 17 through 18. It says, when he came to himself, that was the moment he recalled. When he came, his face was in the pig trough, eating the pig food, and when he came to himself, or when his mind reminded him of where he had come from and where he had fallen from, it says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Do you remember? Are there things in your life that bring you back to remembrance. I got a whole stack of Bibles that's on the mantle of my fireplace in my office in there. I don't know how many there are there, but every one of them have meaning to me. Every single one of them. There's, I can look over there at that mantle and I go, boy, I remember where I was at and what I was doing and what life was like when I was reading that one. I brought, brought one out 
here with me. I, I grabbed it. It was one of the, one of the first Bibles. This is Thompson Chain King James Version, you know, the Holy Bible. A, this is actually. Um, but I actually got notes in here of about September the 9th, 1982, when Brother Hedler, it was a Thursday. I was 26 years old, and it was during a revival meeting at a Pentecostal church that he baptized me. I remember. I remember. I, I, I remember this one torn page in here. Here it is. My little Erica was probably about Stella's, uh, about Etta's age. And Diane and I were out delivering pies for either Thanksgiving or Christmas or something. No, she stepped in the pie on that time, but there was another time where I'd set my Bible down beside my chair and she'd come over to see her daddy, leaned up, you know, pulled herself up by the side of the chair and stepped on my Bible and ripped out the page. Now, if you know me, I'm, you know, I can get a little anally retentive sometimes, and I thought that was the end of the world, that I had a ripped page out of my great Bible. But you know what? It reminds me of my little girl. Things that bring you back to remembrance. Or do you remember, can you remember your Damascus Road experience? What do I mean by that? You know, Paul was doing all the right stuff the right way. He was a completely religious man. He was totally true to every one of the facets of Judaism. He was in line to become one of the great leaders in the Sanhedrin. He was a top-notch religious dude. He did everything out of duty. And obligation. And one day he's on the road to Damascus to go arrest, torture, kill Christians. And he met up with Jesus. Have you had your Damascus Road experience where you met up with Jesus? It may not have been your, your baptism experience. It may not have been your sinner's prayer salvation moment. That wasn't the case for me. Uh, that happened for me in 1982, but there was a time in probably around June of 1989. Little Emily was probably a year old. You all, many of you have heard this story. Some of you have, have, have not. But you know what? This is my moment of remembrance. And I never forget about this. She was at that age where she loved to jump off of things into daddy's arms. And the highest thing in the house was the refrigerator. Yeah, and I'm like, let's put the little one up on the refrigerator and let her jump off into daddy's arms. <laughs> All you moms are going, no. Well, mom was standing at the sink. She, she was looking at me like, what are you doing, you know? And little Emily, she's just, I'm putting her up there. Now, you got to keep in mind that the refrigerator's what? Only this high, right? Daddy's hands are right here. Are you following me? She's standing up there. And so when she's jumping off into daddy's arms, it's not like she's free falling for five minutes. She's right in daddy's arms right now. And I had this epiphany. I had this moment of awakening when I fell in love with Jesus. See, up to that point, I was afraid of Jesus. I thought he was out to, to get me for all of my wrongs and my doings, and I served him out of duty and obligation, not out of love. And, and I, I had this moment where I looked up there and I saw her up there, and I, here I was, Father, I was father, and I had my hands out, and there was no way I was going to miss that little angel. And uh, she would jump off without an ounce of fear because she knew Daddy was going to catch her, and he, would, and he would never drop her, and nothing would ever make that happen. 
God said, Rick, why can't you trust me? Like she trusts you. And I had my moment of falling in love with Jesus because it was right then and there that I really said he loved me right where I was at and for who I was, not before what I did for him. Do you remember your moment? Can you think back on it? Can you pull it out and tell the story of it and still be emotionally drawn to that occasion, that Damascus Road experience, or as I call my refrigerator epiphany? June of 1989. William Cowper, he was an English poet in the 1700s, and he wrote this, Where is the blessedness I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where is the sound, refreshing view of Jesus and his word? You see, I know my moment that I look back to. If I don't have that same sense that I had there with little Emily at the refrigerator, then somewhere along the way, I've stepped away from doing it out of devotion and wholehearted love to doing the things out of duty and obligation. Sounds a little tragic, that statement. You know, where is the blessedness I knew when I first saw the Lord? Sounds a little bit tragic and forlorn. But the first step in getting things right is to realize that something has gone wrong. That's the first step. The first step that Jesus gave us was to remember from which point you fell. And I believe that point is your, your for me, that point is the moment of a love relationship beginning with my master. Secondly, Jesus says, repent. So first he says, remember. If you want to fix this love problem, you're doing all the right things, church, but you are not doing them because you're in love with me. You're doing them because you're in love with church. And the first way to get back to loving me is to remember from where you fell. See, there is no greater apex or point in my life than that refrigerator moment because that's when I really met Jesus. So anything that begins to pale from that moment is a departure from my love relationship. I pray you have those moments. So the first thing is to uh, remember that, you know, that uh, we, we, we have to come to this point where we lift our heads up out of the pig trough like the prodigal son, and realize that something has gone terribly off course, something has gone terribly wrong, and usually when that happens, there's, there's typically a few responses that happen. Number one, we feel stained, we feel dirty, and we don't think God will accept us again, and why would he forgive me again? Come on, many of you have had that feeling when you've fallen, and you think, man, I'm dirty now. Or maybe you get angry and resentful and you blame life. Or you blame somebody else instead of looking, yourself in, looking at yourself in the mirror and taking a good look at yourself. Or maybe we just kind of get to that point where we go, well, the old thrill is gone and sin just seems to be a lot more fun. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay, take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Jesus said, I don't know why I'm so emotionally tired, maybe because I remember my moment of falling in love with Jesus. Jesus says, repent. Repentance is an admission that the fault is yours. 
You can't repent if you're blaming somebody else. You can't do the old Geraldine, Flip Wilson, Geraldine thing. The devil made me do it. No, 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 no. You or I fall away because of our own lust and our own things and things that we believe is going to bring us pleasure and our relationship with Christ has gotten cold. It's an admission that the fault is ours. And it's also, it has heartfelt sorrow that's attached to it. Luke chapter 15, verse 18, the prodigal son's reaction was this. I'm going to go home to my father, and I'm going to say to my father, I have sinned against you, father. I've sinned against you, both heaven and against you. I have sinned. He took responsibility for his sin. I can only imagine in that moment his heart was broken. It happened for Saul as well in 1 Samuel chapter 26. It was his heart's cry. Here's what his heart's cry was when he realized he had made his major blunder. He went, I have sinned, I've been a fool, and I've been very, very wrong. When's the last time you fell before the Lord in that type of Repentance. The hardest thing about repentance, though, is accepting and acknowledging your own personal responsibility in, for the failure. We always want someone else to be at fault, or God forsook me, or the person forsook me, or my heart was broken because so-and-so did such-and-such, and so forth and so on. But Christ says this, you've got to remember from where you've fallen, and you've got to repent. The third thing he said is this. Respond by doing what you did at first. So the first thing you need to do is you need to remember from where you're fallen. And you need to repent, take ownership of your sin, your failure. Have a godly sorrow before God. The Bible says that godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. You'd have a godly sorrow. So the act of repentance is meant to uh, motivate us to do a couple of things. It, it motivates us to fall on the love and the mercy of God. That's the first thing that repentance does. It goes, I can't do this without you, God. I'm just going to fall on your mercy, Lord. Please forgive me. And the other is that it drives us to make a change, to ha- actually have a change of heart. If true repentance is there, you will, you will fall on the mercy of God and you will be motivated to do things differently. When I weigh my moments of departure from God to my refrigerator epiphany, it doesn't take much for me to realize how far I've fallen. And, it, and, it, and never has there been a moment that I go, oh, it just kind of happened. I don't know what happened. It must have been an accident. I was walking in the dark and bumped into the sin wall. No. I made a conscious choice. Sure is quiet in this holy church. Is anybody amening me on YouTube or or anything? I'll bring it to an end because I can tell you're pretty bored with all this. (sighs) Thank you, brother. We need this because we need to know how to be prepared for the Lord's coming. I would, I would suppose that any of these seven churches who did not fix the things that God 
said was wrong would probably stand before him on judgment day and say, but Lord, we did all this church stuff for you. We, we cast out demons and we healed the sick and we spoke in tongues and we gave in offerings and the Lord would look at you and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That was to the church, folks. It wasn't to the unrepentant world. It's been said that no man who has truly repented, excuse me, it's, it's been said that no man has truly repented when he does the same things over and over. Ruh-roh. You better just look at your neighbor and go, ah, I think he's talking about you right now. Henry Fosdick, he, is a Baptist, he was a Baptist preacher in the early 1900s, and he said the great truth of Christianity is that no man needs stay the way he is. Ain't no mountain high enough. I don't, what else does it say? All those great lyrics there. Nothing's going to stop him. I love the one where it says they're, they're, they're about the lie. What's the, what's the lyric line that says? You don't remember. You're like me. You can't remember lyrics without seeing them in front of you, can you? Bless our hearts. You know what it really means when I say that, right? Poor pitiful us. All right, I'm going to bring it to a close. In spite of all the good things that the church of Ephesus did, there was a problem. In spite of all the good things that Resurrection Life Church does, there might be a problem. If we, don't look at, if we just look at this like that letter to them and not look at it like, ooh, is it possible it's a letter to us right now? Then we're missing the boat on this deal. In all the right things they did as a church, there was a problem. And that problem was the decline in their relationship with Jesus because they had stopped loving him the way they did in the beginning. I dare say there may be some of us in this room that may be there right now. Jesus commanded them to remember the relationship that they once had with him. He's saying, Rick, you remember your refrigerator epiphany because that was the moment you and I, well, he already loved me, but I'll say this anyway. You and I fell in love that day, baby. Do you have your moment? He's saying, examine yourself. I'm saying, as a pastor, I have no trouble, I have no problem holding accountable by the word of God those that God has given me trust with as congregation, as parishioners, as sheep in the flock. If I just preach to you a feel-good message that, and I don't preach to you the truth that will probably challenge you, in fact, ought to challenge you, then I don't love you. Jesus commanded them to remember the relationship they once had, to examine themselves and to turn away from the things of the world, to turn back to him. I don't know what trappings of the world that you have in your life, but you do. And if they did not do this, he warned them that they would lose their right to exist as a church. I will remove your lampstand. That's a heavy way to put it, isn't it? You will, you will relinquish your right to exist as the church of the living God. The choice was theirs, and the choice is ours. 
I don't even have a clue what time it is, but have I got your attention? It's only 8 o'clock? Hallelujah. I'm coming to an end. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. I, I'm, I'm, this is my closing stuff. Excuse me a minute. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible about Mary and Martha. This is a real example of those that were doing the right thing for the wrong reason and the one who was doing the right thing for the right reason. Okay? Now, as they were traveling along, verse 38, by the way, chapter 10, the book of Luke. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Can you imagine? She came and rebuked Jesus. And tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, all of your work, all of your ministry of helps, means nothing to God if you're not doing it because you love Him. In fact, none of your ministry of helps or the works that you may do here at the church are worth a hill of beans if you don't first sit at his feet to hear his words. I heard one translation say that she sat at his feet for perhaps he might say something. Just sitting there in anticipation. The master's going to say something and I'm not going to miss it. Let the finger sandwiches mold. How many many of you are metaphorically Marthas and really want to be Marys? I love to serve the Lord. I do. And there's times when I'm probably serving the Lord out of duty, but he awakens me real quick. He jerks the slack out of me, no problem. I lay out the welcome mat of conviction. Lord, you are welcome to convict my heart of wrong. And he'll jerk the slack out of me pretty quick. But I tell you what, I'd rather burn out serving him than rust out just sitting around. We need to remember and we need to keep in the forefront of our mind and our heart that everything that we do is rooted and grounded in our daily walk with him, our daily relationship with him. Your relationship with Christ is not a Sunday go-to-meeting thing. It's not a Wednesday midweek thing. It's a 24-7, 365, all of the breathing days of your life thing. In all those days that there are, I'm 64 now, I got, uh, I got saved back in 1982 at the age of 26, and over those years, I uh, have had many times that I have failed God, 
been many times that I haven't gone and completely backslid from him, but I've gone so far away from him that I was pert near in the pigsty. And then a great occurrence happened to me in 1989 when I met Jesus at a refrigerator in the actions of a little girl. I'll never, ever, ever forget. And so I ask you tonight and you tonight online, have you left your first love? I want you to take a couple of minutes to think about, to contemplate the whole thing. I didn't realize when I wrote this um, teaching today that it would be emotional. Maybe I don't know maybe if it's emotional for you or not, but it is for me, or sobering, because it also is a great reminder for me. I need it too. I do a lot of things. You know, I'm a past, my job is pastor of the church. How many know that it could be very easy to have everything that I do for Christ be about my job? Are you hearing me? And then guess what? I, I'm now Martha. I'm a, I'm a, I, I am a, uh, I'm susceptible to Martha syndrome, but I choose Mary's worship. So I want you to examine yourself, and would you be able to say today where you're at that I do much for Christ, but not much with Christ? May it be said of you that you can look at your life and go, I not only do much for Christ, but I do much with him. So I'm going to sing a song, and then I'll dismiss you, and we're just going to take a time of contemplation. You can respond to it in whatever way that you choose. This isn't about a a horse and a dog and pony show, and you jump through the hoops. Uh, But I haven't done my job well. I'm on here. Ah, there it is. If I don't give you a chance to respond, because we're to remember We're to repent and we're to respond. And then imagine the Lord saying, I see your hard work. I see your endurance. I see the way you test things. And I can tell how much you love me. Huh? Isn't that a different story? Spoken to 
and I I'm desperate for you oh and I I'm lost without you I'm lost without you Lord I'm desperate for you
Father, we give you praise tonight. And I pray, Lord God, that every one of us and every person out there that's watching and every person that will watch it over the days and weeks and even months to come will fall in love with you all over again, Lord. And that we will remember from where we've fallen. And we will repent, take ownership of our stuff, and we will respond and do the things we did when we first fell in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, give the Lord a praise if you've been blessed tonight, or even just a little bit. Hallelujah. And again, you might be thinking, I thought this was supposed to be end time study. I'm preaching from the book of Revelation. Take a break, okay? It's all good. And I hadn't even made it through the first letter yet. Okay, I know how to milk a scripture. Let's put it that way. All right, we'll get together. Um, next time we get together would be next Wednesday night, and uh, we'll take a look at the Nicolaitans and once again kind of close out that first letter to the church at Ephesus. And I, I want us to remember that why we're doing this isn't for the sake of an end-time study, but it's to let the, these letters be a mirror in which we will look at ourselves. And if we don't see what the picture has. We got some fixing to do individually and as a church. Amen. Stand with me, please. I want to send you out blessed. I believe the Lord is going to bless you. He's going to keep you. He's going to make his face shine upon you, make his countenance go before you. He's going to be gracious to you. He's going to give you peace. I pray Psalm 91 all over you. If you don't know what that says, go home and read Psalm 91. So I speak Psalm 91 blessing. Have a wonderful evening, and we'll see you Sunday morning for a powerful time in the house of God with a powerful preacher. Miss Diane's going to be bringing the message on Sunday. All right, call you blessed. Have a good evening.